welcome to Beringa's Energy Innovators podcast, bringing you a series of thought-provoking and current conversations with industry leaders, where we discuss the transition, transformation, and innovation in energy markets. On today's podcast, we have myself, James Constable from Beringa Hosting, and I'm joined by Karsten Rinka-Kollen from Agreco and Ilish Patel from Beringa's Energy and Resources Practice. We have a conversation on the challenges facing Agreco with the decarbonisation of diesel as a fuel for temporary power, balancing growing customer demand to go green with the need for reliable temporary power, and the benefits and drawbacks of various alternative fuels which could take us on a decarbonisation pathway. Enjoy the podcast. Ilesh, Karsten, great to have you on the podcast. Thanks for joining us today. Karsten, could you just give us a bit of an overview of yourself and a bit of an overview of Agreco? Thanks, James, for having me. My name is Carsten Michael so I'm the Director of Future Technologies at Asagreco. We stood up a function two years ago, and I'm sitting in the Central Global Products and Technology section of the business. Agreco itself is a global leader providing temporary power and energy services, as well as temperature control service to our customers. Um, we're active in more than 100 countries around the globe with 6,000 employees. Um, and our services range from multi-megawatt temporary power solutions for utility customers or mining customers who run their facilities in remote areas far away from the grid or providing bridging power to utilities where they need it in emerging markets to um, provide solutions to events like the Olympics, uh, but also um, less high-profile events as well. Manufacturing sites, cooling technology for mines to keep the productivity even at stress situations, but also construction services, oil and gas, petrochemical refinery, quite a variety of services that we provide. And we do this with our own fleet. So we operate around 10 gigawatts of thermal power, mostly diesel fleet, also about three gigawatts of gas engines. And as part of the energy transition, of course, we are challenged to evolve this fleet and our solutions to have a lower carbon footprint going forward. And as such, we stood up my function two years ago. Great. Yeah, Ilesh, could you just give us um, a similar overview? Of course. So Ilesh Patel, I am Beringa's Energy Resources Global Markets and Strategy Lead. In an era when global energy markets are experiencing unprecedented change with new energy technologies, new markets, new business models, which are emerging and offer the opportunity for a low carbon future combined with more distributed and decentralized energy systems. My passion and focus here at Beringa is helping investors, companies and customers in that energy transition journey with a particular focus on markets, technology, evolution and business models. And I've had the absolute privilege to be an advisor to Agreco on its strategy formulation over the last seven years, working initially in the utilities business and then over the last few years, certainly helping them evolve both their technology and the business model strategy towards a more low carbon future. And it's a real pleasure to be talking with yourself and Carson today. Thanks, Ilesh. Just one more thing before we crack into the meat of the subject. Carsten, could you just give us a bit of background um, of yourself before Agreco? Because I think that might be particularly interesting given the conversation we're about to have. Yeah, absolutely. So I, I joined Agreco as part of an acquisition. So before that, I was leading the, the engineering and software development works in a battery storage startup called Unicos, which is based in Berlin and Austin, Texas. Uh, we're pretty early to the market and we developed stationary battery storage solutions for utility customers mostly. And in 2017, we were acquired by Agreco and as such, I joined uh, the company. 
Carsten, how did you find that transition just before we get into the meat of Agreco, that from a battery startup with a kind of tech style, you know, mandate to a more traditional fuel to power business operating globally in some really interesting markets? Yeah, it was quite an interesting change. And obviously uh, in Unicus, we're a technology company really focusing on working with early adopters in the utility sector and other markets as well. We clearly also focused on microgrids and um, a lot of software development, of course, talks to investors and so on. So quite a different way of thinking about uh, things. And then Agreco is a company with a very mature business model, obviously, and more on the other side of the adoption cycle in technology. So normally you're looking for very industrial grade tech, tech, and of course you have a very operational way of working. You have a quarterly thinking, being a listed company. But of course, you have a much wider reach, a more global reach, which gives us a nice, I would say, boost of opportunities to bring this more agile startup thinking and, and changing about storage and what storage can do in microgrids and decarbonizing services really into a global footing. So that's quite exciting, actually. You know, for many of our listeners, we'll be very familiar with power generation in the kind of large scale thermal and renewable, but they may not be as familiar with temporary power, the, the market in which Agreco operates. Do you mind just expanding on what is temporary power and how does Agreco see that market evolving in the next few years? Yeah, so I think it's important to differentiate between like a general rental company. Think of people think think about temporary power, they think about renting a genset for the construction site or so. And there are, there are players in, big players in the market doing this, of course, so-called general rental companies, but we are specialist rental companies. So we typically bring engineering services and problem solving capability to our customers as on top onto our own equipment. So it's why we follow the sector approach. So we have sector specialists in oil and gas or in petrochemical refinery and also in events and mining who work together with the customers solving the problem they have. Let's say you have a mine uh, and you want to make sure that the temperature conditions for your workers and equipment down the mine are within certain bounds and you're hitting summertime and your on-site equipment is not sufficient. Then we develop with them a solution how we can bring in temporary energy supply as well as cooling power to get cold air down there. There's just one example, or the same way we do this with petrochemical refinery customers, if they have a turnaround service in their facilities to bring in equipment to make sure that the production goes on while they maintain their equipment and so on. So you can imagine we, we always interface quite intensively with our customers to kind of engineer the fitting solution. Um, and that also goes for event customers. If you have a large event like the Olympic Games, a lot of distribution has to be planned for the different venues, also temperature control, air conditioning, heating, ventilation. Uh, and this all needs power and energy, and we bring this as well to our customers. So it's quite a diverse business in terms of applications, but we have to make sure that we can work on a rental basis. Of course, the building blocks that we have, generators, cooling equipment, heaters, uh, load banks as well, we bring them, combine them in a way that the solution is sufficient for our customers. So you're talking about these customers, which could be as big as the Olympics, which is yeah. a, a really clear brand. But so you're powering the Olympics and then you might be powering a mine or providing cooling to a mine. And utility customers as well. I know when I've worked with in the past, there's been really famous examples of where you'd be able to build a 300 megawatt power station in Mozambique yeah. in the space of 13 weeks and then dismantle it two years later and move it around the world. How does that business model work for you? So that's, that's another form of temporary power, but with a utility yes. customer in mind. Yeah, absolutely. So we, we really serve 
the different scales and time scales as well. So you mentioned hundreds of megawatts built from one megawatt or 1.5 megawatt building blocks in containers, so gas generators or diesel generators to provide bridging power, which is quite a, an important thing in emerging markets, obviously. So it's, it's one of the pillars of our business. And that's also, of course, where we started to look at how can we displace uh, fuel with renewables. So we naturally think in these large applications, how can you, can you do this a little bit different than classically using fossil energy? And then there's the more transactional side of the market, which could still be significant in size. So we also do had hundreds of megawatts installed in Belgium two years ago, uh, where there was a shortfall on generation in the grid uh, and help right. the customer there as well. Great. So you, you've got this kind of diesel and gas power generation heritage which you built up. And why does diesel work so well for the applications that you use? You know, what, what makes it such a strong offering a product for your customers? Yes. So there's one particular aspect around temporary power, or let's say at least two, that are important to keep in mind. One is we have a lot of applications that need a lot of energy. And where we go, this energy is not available readily. So you're far away from a grid or the grid connection is not big enough or you just need it for a very short amount of time. It's very complex to get one. So you need to bring the energy along that you need to serve the customer. So, and then typically you also have quite restricted in footprint, not a lot of space because this is a temporary solution. You add it somewhere where customers already have installations. So you need something very energy dense to bring the energy and liquid fuels, hydrocarbon fuels are a very effective way to do. So there's nothing out there that has for the same weight and volume, the same energy density by far. And then you have a conversion technology like the diesel engine, which is one of the most efficient thermal ways to convert something back to mechanical and then electrical energy. Very mature, very cheap, runs on a commodity fuel, which is important. So we don't have to trade the fuel ourselves. The customer can bring in the fuel, and that's what they mostly do as well, because it's a commodity, and it's very efficient to do so. So you have a very good combination of cost competitiveness, flexibility. The engine is also quite flexible in terms of base load or part load, load jumps, etc. So it, it serves a really wide area of applications with a little thinking, if you want so as well. Sounds like a really hard to displace technology. So as you think now forward in your strategy and, and low carbon journey, what role does diesel play? And now what alternatives do you see from a technology perspective as you try and marry a desire yeah. for more low carbon power generation together with your temporary power business model, but against the kind of prevailing attractiveness of diesel in the markets in which you operate? Yeah. So generally, if you look just, if you just took the technology lens, right, you just say, okay, forget about cost and, and, and availability. You would just go. Tough, okay. to, tough to forget about cost. <laughs> <laughs> you would just say, okay, the, the biggest lever that we have is fuel. And the good news is you could actually decarbonize liquid hydrocarbon fuels. So you could produce hydrocarbon fuels like e-diesel from using renewable energy, producing hydrogen, then you run it through existing, very mature chemical processes. You bind carbon in the process and you get a fuel that you could burn into the engines that, that we have. So something we could ideally use. We get all the benefits of what I just described, the engine being flexible, the power, energy density, and so on. And you would get a path to net zero. And if you then add emissionized sets, so you, you, you make sure you have good particle filters, you have capital, uh, SCRs installed in, in the engines to make sure that the local emissions are also minimized, you actually have a quite compelling package. Problem is, as I just said, <laughs> it's not available as a commodity. It's very expensive to do that today. So we're not there. So we need to do some steps in between. 
<clears throat> just to, just to stop there and just pause a recap for our listeners. We just had a really good overview of Agreco's current business model and some of the challenges you're you're facing around and opportunities you're facing around decarbonisation. It's probably worth us pausing there just to reflect. What do you see at a high level being your pathway through to decarbonisation from today? And if we could explore that in a bit more detail. So what the technology challenge is, how do you marry that with customer need? If we could start to you know, unpack that, we can maybe create some quite interesting content for our listeners. I think first, there's no silver bullet. I think that's important. So we won't find something as flexible as it looks for today, as the diesel engine uh, compared and uh, running on a fossil fuel in terms of cost and flexibility. So we need to do multiple things where it fits. The first thing is, of course, you can try to avoid run hours running idle. So backup stuff you can substitute with batteries. The storage plays a role in turning a running kit into standby kit, avoiding fuel being burned on not serving loads and also creating flexibility so you can optimize how you run the kit. So storage definitely has a role to play. Then, of course, you can switch fuels. So where you can use natural gas, um, you can get 20 to 30% carbon reduction compared to a fossil diesel um, when you can run on natural gas, as we do already, and we grow that portion definitely going forward. And it comes with the upside, you sometimes also be able to reduce the cost of electricity, which of course makes the switch more compelling to a customer. Um, then you can try to substitute fuels, of course. So hi- uh, hybridization with renewables, we're already doing this today with our mining customers, for instance, this is definitely gonna be an important play to, to increase and increase the penetration on renewables for those longer term installations where the customer uh, have a good incentive to displace the fuels in remote areas. And then we have to look at the alternative fuels like HVO or biofuels like FANE, where they are available in markets, where the customers are willing also, of course, to accepting also maybe a premium for that. Carbon pricing will play a role there as well, where we can run them through the existing kits. So you get credits, carbon credit for 60%, 80%, depending on the feedstock there, but it's limited. But there's ways we can use that and we need to promote this as well. So I've got the I've got the transition to gas from diesel, yes. which which makes sense to me. You know the thirty percent renewable reduction you talked about there. I get the battery storage in certain applications, and and Unicos acquisition clearly gives you a head start in that space. I've got the biofuels as well, which I think are really interesting for me. And as I understand it, the engines you have are really tolerant to biofuels. It could be a fuel for the future, at least for the transition, yeah. if you can get it in sufficient quantities. What about hydrogen? What's your view on hydrogen? There's a lot of talk about it in the industry. Do you think hydrogen's got a role in the applications that you serve? So hydrogen, of course, is everybody's mind right now. And we look at this very actively. Uh, Hydrogen definitely will have a role in the whole temporary power space, but not to the extent of being a direct fuel in our view. The challenges lie within the energy density when it's stored and the cost to store. So if you think about, just to give you a little bit of a relationship, if if you want to store around 10 kilograms of hydrogen, which is roughly 300 kilowatt hours of energy, takes 1.5 tons of steel in bottles if you want to compress it, because the energy density per, wow. per, per volume is very low. So that brings you more or less into in, in an area where batteries are today in terms of weight and energy density. So you're not really getting far away from the lithium ion battery, which is really not a good storage for a large amount of energy. It's really challenging in that regard. But where customers can afford that, and they are interested in having something which locally has no carbon emission might be a play. So we, okay. we're going to look at this. 
and that's a really useful segue for me into so i think we've looked at the supply side of your business model what technologies are you thinking about what, what about your customers what do they want if I, if I think about the olympics or big events and then think about a big industrial customer or a data center or even a refinery what, what are they asking you for today so you have there's a different in region of course as the size of players what kind of corporate rules and, and pressures they have but and then in certain sectors, so they're more progressive thinkers. So events are definitely Paris 2024. They don't want to run any generator. That's their ambitious target. They want to basically have an emission-free event if they can. So they get more ambitious and they have ever more informed teams and experts in their, in their teams that think about how they can achieve that. Same for mining. Certain mining companies have sustainability targets and they need to find ways to get there. The first thing, though, they always want is reliability. So it's not to compromise the reliability of our service. It needs to be there when they need it. So it can't be something that is cutting edge technology and then may or may not work. It needs to be quite mature on the other hand as well. So they want us to work with them to find these paths and options that they can use. And then also tell them, okay, this works to this degree, but you know, it will, won't do this, it won't do that. So we can work in a partnership because we are a specialist, of course. We can tell them what we see and they can pull on us or we can also push them a little bit to say, okay, this would actually do better than the traditional diesel generator. If you were considering, let's say, a hybrid solution where you save some fuel and you get the same kind of reliability because your load is actually not that big. It's really interesting. Tell me a little bit more about their willingness to pay. Are they on their decarbonization journey, and, and many of our listeners would have heard about Microsoft's commitment to negative emissions or you know, many of the oil and gas majors and their commitments to net zero by 2050, are they willing to pay a premium in this journey to help decarbonize their operations? Well, I think that's yet to be proven. So, so far, it's still a very cost-sensitive business in most of the areas we are in. Not in every every sector, but even for a very high-profile event, they have to watch out for their operating costs. And um, if you think about the large consumers like a mine, fuel makes 90% of their cost from when they look at, at yeah. energy. So accepting a premium on the fuel cost basically is a, is a big sensitivity to your profitability in the mine, your running costs, and so on. So I think there are sectors that are, they will accept more premium because they also can maybe benefit from that in terms of how customers, their customers accepting their, their products from different from the others. And which sectors are those specifically that you're thinking of, Carsten, that are, you think right now are, are on that journey and they're prepared to pay a little bit more for a low carbon solution? Yeah, I think it's definitely data centers, which are quite pulling events, high profile events, definitely looking for, for ways how can we avoid running gensets, maybe being able to pay a bit more. And then some of the construction players, if they're larger corps, corporations and they want to make sure that they hit their targets, they will have some projects where they accept it. Not maybe on the whole front yet, but I think that will might change in the, in the future. And to what extent does carbon taxes play a role here in terms of the views your customers are giving you? Does carbon taxation influence their choice? <laughs> uh, I think it will, um, but it depends highly on, on the level of taxation. So I think the, the current political conversations are in an area where it doesn't really move the needle in terms of technology choices. It will make okay. the solution more expensive and it will maybe make the switch from, let's say, diesel to gas more, more easily digestible because that gives us even a credit and you get cheaper eventually or we, we can stomach the extra infrastructure we need. Um, but uh, a fuel cell compared to a, to a combustion engine is still factors away from the cost wise. 
was a really useful overview of technologies and opportunities facing you there, Carsten. Thank you for that. I think one of the particularly fascinating areas is is how it's going to move and what's going to move first. And in particular to you, what do you guys think needs to happen in the market and what does Agreco need to be trying to catalyze to actually make that transition happen for yeah. you, for your world? I think if we could get into that, that'd be really good. Let's start with the first or the last step. So what do we have to do? I think we have to give the customer options. And, and so we have to make sure that the customer has a way to choose from different ways from what they're used to today. Better ways, lower carbon ways to do. And then the customer, of course, has to make the decision still on, okay, am I accepting a premium? And what is my, my policy in terms of what's more valuable to us? And we also have customers who can't. So I think there's a reality that certainly geographies will be lagging behind others. And that's that's okay because they just don't have this room to have room to maneuver. So we will need to build the option. So we will have to invest in providing alternatives, making sure that we understand how we can use hydrogen or other alternative fuels and bring them to the customer. And then they can have an informed choice in how we shape up their solution. I think that's an important step. I think then it's important that we we all together partner on this journey in the different sectors and industries which are similar but different. So if you think about transportation, they have a similar problem or challenge than we do. So we need to talk to each other and to find out, you know, how can we maybe also partner up to make sure we have the same interests. We want to use alternative fuels in maybe in geographies where it's difficult. How can we work together to make it happen? And what do we have to create and scale? Scale always helps, obviously. Well, I love that analogy with transport, where you brought the analogy to say transport faces a challenge of does it go alternative fuels, particularly biofuels? Does it go hydrogen? Does it go electric? And the analogy of the rental power actually really resonates with me in terms of, wow, that is the challenge of rental power, actually. And the, But are there other challenges? Particularly, I'm thinking of mobility in rental power, the, the ability by definition, if you're a temporary power, you are planning to move the power generation equipment from one location to another. How does that play out in your thinking around the transition in terms of technologies? I think there's it has a benefit of, that we have a global reach, obviously, there. Because, I mean, obviously, the, the things we develop with our partners or with our customers in, let's say, pulling regions or markets, we can then transition into markets and offer to customers in regions and markets which maybe the developing or picking up the pace a little later. So we can use the equipment there as well and can offer it to them. But of course, it brings the challenge that we also have a certain envelope in which we can work, the tip of the 20 or 40 foot containers, uh, technology that needs to be shippable um, for pressurized equipment, like let's say hydrogen tanks, that could be a little bit of a challenge because the regulations are different by region. Um, and so forth. So, but we, we, we're used to that anyways today. So I think in that regard, we can bring this to the table and help to make that transition and make sure that the equipment can work in the different region and the global footprint as well. If you look forward 10 years, what do you think needs to be true to enable Agreco to make its pathway in this journey to a low carbon product provider to the temporary power market? And what needs to be true to the customer side for them to be able to accept those solutions? Yeah, I think the first thing we need to accept that this doesn't come for free. Mm-hmm. So I, I think that's that's very important. So we cannot have the the idea that we can do something net zero or 50% less carbon intensive and using let's say, a biofuel or a power fuel, where we first have to produce the renewable energy, then produce hydrogen, then put it into a fuel, ship it to the side. So we do all these extra steps instead of extracting it from the ground and processing in a refinery large scale and think it's the same cost. So that's not going to happen. So we need to 
come to that consensus that we, that means also of course that the services get more expensive, but everything gets a little bit less convenient and a bit more expensive. And this, if we don't buy into this as a, as a whole economy, if you want, so we won't make that transition because then we always will compete against the local diesel supply and the generator there, if you want to break it down to this. And this is the most cheap solution you can get. Sure. And the customers in terms of, so you talk about their willingness to pay, I think, which is what you were alluding to there, which yeah. I think is absolutely right. If we also look at their, what type of buying behaviors you need to see differently for them and what else might you need to give them in terms of technology, data, analysis, and the kind of energy transition to enable them to make good decisions with you? Yeah, I think you need to, to really show them the benefit and not, not a lot of data. So did you give me the right, most efficient solution for what I need? So do you understand really my problem good enough? Where can you have data to ensure that you didn't oversell me if you want so? And what is the benefit in carbon and so forth? Um, that will play a big role, definitely, because they will also be much smarter going forward around these technologies. I think we need to do some call to actions in a minute. But I, I have one final question, which is if you could wave your magic wand, and have an alternative to diesel as the best technology ever and the ICE engine is the best technology ever. What, what would Great you Great question. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you had something, if you had something that didn't need a hydrocarbon fuel, right, uh, it would be as flexible in terms of load profile as a, as, and power dense as a diesel engine. It makes no noise, has no local <laughs> emissions. You would be, you have, would have the, the dream for every temporary power provider, right? You just have something that you just put there and. And it's mobile as well, I'm assuming as well. Course, so you can move yeah. it every year. Yes, yes. of course, that's to be mobile. And cheap, that's, of uh, course. And cheap as well. Okay. So pretty long wish list there <laughs> to, uh, to add it for the inventors out there and boffins that you might be able to invent something that fits all of those criteria. That's really interesting, guys. I mean, just to summarize, just very briefly what you said there, Carsten. So in summary, what we're saying is that customers do need to move away from carbon intensive fuels and they want to, but there's no silver bullet to decarbonize as diesel is such basically a great fuel and so flexible for temporary power generation. We think that hydrogen could be a potential fuel, but it does have some uh, storage issues which are similar to battery technologies. The customers are becoming increasingly ambitious with their green agenda, but they are always needing to balance the want and desire to decarbonize with the business need for reliability. Um, and then we see um, sectors wanting to partner more effectively to change the fuel mix in your industry um, and effectively the market. And, and you, Agreco, really want to position yourself to be at the center of the formation of those partnerships. Yeah, so Ilesh, would you like to summarize with any parting words and a view of the market and how you th see things progressing? I, look at, I think it's been a fascinating conversation with Carsten around temporary power and the future for temporary power and Agreco. It's one of the hardest sectors or segments within the power sector to decarbonize, given the nature of the application of customer requirements. If we can look at the energy transition, I think there are four areas that I continually come back to in terms of the focus for the industry as a whole. One is a real focus on customers, both as ultimate bill payers here, but also as customers who are intrinsic to the energy transition, people who have carbon intensive operations, energy intensive operations will be as interested in the energy transition and it's as material important to them as anybody else. And, and the real focus of customers, therefore important, a real understanding of technology and its applications and a real understanding of how quick technology costs will fall. 
capital investment uh, and how to connect that capital that would be required that Carsten talked about to fund the energy transition, connecting that with markets and projects through new structures and business models. And expertise of people, you know, as an industry, we need to scale up the skills we have. And there's a real investment in people and diversity that we need to bring to the industry in order to be able to embrace the energy transition over the next 5, 10, 20 years and beyond. So I'd say those four areas, customers, technology, capital and investment processes and and the expertise of people. Fantastic. Thank you both. Thank you for your time. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. Please hit the subscribe button to keep up to date with our latest podcast releases and hear more from Beringa and our energy innovators. If you have a question or a comment about the podcast or would like to learn more about Beringa, please email us at energypodcast at beringa.com or visit our website linked in the podcast bio.